0: Charles, thank you so much for being here today. I was, I was telling you before we started recording, um, I first heard you on a podcast with David Allen, and I love David Allen and his work. Ever since I heard you on that pa- podcast and read your book, The Power of Habit, um, and some of your other work, I I knew that if there was going to be a list of essential books that everyone should read, that The Power of Habit and your work needed to be on that list. So really appreciate you taking time to to be with us today on the podcast.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. And um, the, the other thing I'll mention too that I, I love about your book, The Power of Habit, outside of if you can see on the screen outside of the, the most iconic cover of all time, right? (laughs) It's whoever, whoever designed it did such an amazing job. Like I I remember seeing this for like the past decade, like, and everyone, when I've mentioned that I was, I was going to talk to you, they're like, Oh, that's the, that's the cover. That's got the loop and the person running on it. So it's, it's, it's an iconic cover. But, but Mm -hmm. the other thing I love about it is, is it it doesn't read like your typical book in this genre. And I think that has to do with your background of being a journalist and and a Pulitzer prize winning journalist, um, where you have such a, an engaging style of writing and, and uh, sharing stories. So um, you've done an amazing, amazing work with it, but but we'll kind of jump in. Yeah. The the first, the first question I, I like to ask all the authors that we have on is around just the origin of the book itself, and what prompted you to write a book about habits? It, was, yeah. it, was it, were you interested in habits yourself? Was it something you were noticing in your work? I, I'm just curious about the, the origin. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, I was very interested in it myself. I think everyone, um... Everyone who writes a book that has advice in it, it's because they're trying to solve a problem for themselves. It's not it's not because they're an expert on the problem, it's because they wanna they wanna figure out how to deal with that problem. And, you know, um so next year is the tenth anniversary of the power of habit. And when I when I first started writing it, my son was about to be born. He's 13 now. So so, you know, I started writing it before it was published and and he was about to be born and I basically had this sort of question, which is which is if I'm so smart and so good at stuff, right? Like I had gone to Yale and to Harvard and I was a journalist at The New York Times and, and felt like I was pretty accomplished in some respects. But if like I'm so if I'm so smart and so special and so great, like why can't I get myself to get up and go running in the morning? right? Like why Why, why is it so hard for me to like to like you know eat, eat smaller portions? And then then my son was born, and um, it, I, you have kids, right? Yeah, I do. I've okay. got, I've got four, four kids. So Okay, so so you've yeah. been through this too when when your yeah. kids are young and they start moving to eating from um from you know like like baby food to like real food and they start eating like these little chicken nuggets right in the shapes of dinosaurs and they're not that good but they're just addictive for some reason and like i would be sitting at the dinner table i would have already eaten dinner my son would be eating his like dinosaur chicken nuggets which basically melt in your mouth as soon as you put them in and i would just like reach over and grab one and pop it in my mouth and i knew that like not only was this not healthy like it's not like i needed this food but b i'm taking food literally from my own child but i wouldn't even think about it it would just happen automatically and so i had this basic question which was like how do i control the habits like how do the habits in my life work and how do i get more control over them what do i need to know in order to get myself to to run more often and eat more healthily and x and y and z and most importantly i don't want it to be hard i want it to be easy there's lots of things i do in my life that just feel like I'm on autopilot like I don't even have to think about them. And so I wanted to answer that question and that became the power of habits.
0: I can totally relate to the chicken nugget thing. I my my youngest son is 2 years old and and we literally have the bag of nuggets as we speak in the freezer. So Totally.
1: Totally. And they're like you, yeah, they um they're not good, but for some <laughs> reason, they're just so easy to eat and it's yeah, it's a problem. It, it is so
0: easy. So so habits, I mean people talk about habits, it's in our normal day-to-day vocabulary, but I think for many people, they don't actually evaluate or, or consider what a habit actually means. And and your book in particular helped me realize how much of my life is actually on autopilot, if you will. Um, so for the average person, you know, from, from your book and your research, how much of an average person's day-to-day activities, I mean, how much of that is influenced by habits?
1: Almost half. So there's a a woman named Wendy Wood, who's a researcher now at USC, who followed around a number of people for a long time, basically trying to figure out how much of the choices that they made every day were actual choices, and how many of them were just habits, things that they did almost unthinkingly. And what she found is that 40 to 45% of what we do every single day is a habit. Now, Every, most habits start as a choice, right? You you choose to, you know, get a get dessert after dinner. And then eventually, a habit becomes this choice that you stop making but continue acting on. You just always grab a dessert after dinner because it's just the habit you've fallen into. It's part of your routine. It just happens automatically. And if you look at people's lives, a lot of what they think of as choices have actually become habits, right? The way we back the car out of the driveway has become a habit. The The route we take to work becomes a habit so that you get to stop thinking about it. And this is actually really, really important because every single um, animal on Earth has a part of its brain known as the basal ganglia. And the basal ganglia basically exists to create habits. And and it's really important to create those habits because if you had to make a choice every single time you did everything, if you had to choose between eating the berry and eating the rock instead of just habitually dra- grabbing the berry and then bypassing the rock, you. you basically, nothing would ever evolve. You, you would have so much cognitive overload that you would never have time to think of other activities, to to evolve, to invent the wheel or aircraft carriers or video games. And so habits are incredibly important. Animals that never develop the part of their brain that helps them develop habits, they basically are dead ends. They they kind of die out relatively quickly from a geological perspective. And so, so these habits that being about half of our life, that's a good thing. The, the key is that you want it to be habits you choose, habits you like, rather than habits that just happen to you. And what what are the basic elements of,
0: of a habit? I know that's kind of basic, but maybe for those who have not read your book or are yeah. just curious about habits in general, sure. what are
1: This is the big insight, is that every habit has three components, right? We think of a habit as one thing, but it's actually three things. It's a cue, which is a trigger for an automatic behavior to start. And then the routine, which is the behavior itself. And then finally, a reward. Every single habit in your life delivers some reward to you, whether you're aware of it or not. When you back your car out of the driveway successfully, there is a part of your brain that has been anticipating getting into the street, successfully and it it'll actually release little neurotransmitters of celebration dopamine that you can't even really notice or feel but your brain notices and feels and feels them and so it makes it into a habit and what's important is that there's this cue routine and reward what's known as the habit loop and for a long time most people have just focused on the routine on the behavior itself but what we know is that if you really focus on the cue and the reward that's where you get the greatest efficacy in in order to change that habit
0: Another another element that you talk about in the book is um you know not necessarily like a, a fourth element to um the Q routine reward, but talking about the craving associated yeah. with it. I thought that was fascinating, especially in the context of the story that you shared with a uh, Pepsodent. So uh, I recommend everyone read the book, but to and, and I may butcher this, but just to give you like a brief overview, it was so interesting because uh, in the United States, 100 years ago or so, most people didn't brush their teeth. And I think it was actually the, uh, the army basically said, this is like a national disaster. This, this is a huge threat for us. So we need people to brush their teeth. And there was a great kind of marketer, uh, Claude Hopkins, who went about um, trying to instill this habit of brushing people's teeth. Now, obviously, he was selling uh, Pepsodent. So there was, there was other motives involved. But what was interesting is, is it went through, and you talk in the book about the cue, the routine, the reward, the re- reward being that uh, the people who brush their teeth are, are beautiful people. But then there was another aspect to it that was just fascinating about the craving is that the toothpaste, you, when you brush your teeth, and everyone can recognize this, you have that tingly feeling. Toothpaste right. before um, didn't necessarily have that craving aspect in it. So I... Anyways, it it was a fascinating fascinating read, and and I'm just curious that you know how does how does a craving tie into kind of the, the habit loop?
1: Well, well, one of the important questions is how does this this cue and this reward become connected, right? Because the cue and the reward being connected drives the behavior, and you're exactly right. One of the things that happened is that this guy, guy Claude Hopkins, who is a marketer, um. Was asked, he was given a a stake in Pepsodent if he could figure out how to sell it nationally. And and before there had always been toothpaste for a long time. Um, a lot of them were tooth powders and things like that, and they would offer this reward of beautiful teeth, but it just basically didn't work like people would forget to use toothpaste they it, it seemed like a luxury item, so maybe they would buy it and use it like once every two weeks if they're going out to, to some event they, they wanted to make toothbrushing into a daily habit right that's how you sell toothpaste and so um Almost by accident it, the the guy who had invented Pepsodent, he had put this um this oil into it to give it like a minty taste, but he used a formulation of the oil that had a little bit of citric acid in it. And so it made, it made people's gums tingle. It's basically an irritant, right? So, so when you brush your teeth and you got that kind of tingling feeling on your gums, that's because they've added an irritant into the toothpaste to sort of do that. But what would happen is that people would feel that sensation, that tingling mouth and and they came to see it as a reward. They came to associate it with being clean, right? Because because they would brush their teeth, and they think of that as being clean, and and they would f- they would feel the the tingling, and and they associated that, and that became a reward in and of itself. And so the key was that once Claude Hopkins established a reward that was actually consistent, a reward you could feel that was real, that was something that was always associated with the product, then toothpaste and toothbrushing started to become a habit because the problem is that if you just say if you have beautiful teeth well half the time you're not really going to get the reward right you don't it's not like you transform your appearance when you brush your teeth and also like it's a reward that is contingent on other people saying to you your teeth look really nice which most people aren't going to say all the time whereas tingling is something that happens every single time and so this is kind of the point is that and now every toothpaste on earth adds some type of Basically, it's a it's a derivative of citric acid to cause your teeth, in order to t- to cause your gums to tingle. And the reason why they do that is because, you know, for me, like when I step out of the shower and I I don't have that tingling feeling in my mouth that I've come to associate with being clean, then I feel like I'm missing something. I don't feel totally clean. So then I go brush my teeth and I get the tingling feeling and now I feel clean. So it's the craving for the reward that really drives the habit. And it's really important to establish that sense of craving to give people something, right? So for instance, why is like fast food or donuts a habit? Why is it so hard to resist? Well, it's because the thing about carbohydrates, carbohydrates is that your body when it sees a carbohydrate it begins anticipating the pleasure it's going to get from it. So so donuts is a great example. If you smell a donut or you see a donut, you know your your part of your brain begins anticipating this little burst of pleasure you're going to get from eating that sugar and carbohydrates. And so the craving for the reward is what drives that habit.
0: I wanted to also ask you what did you find in your research as far as changing habits and maybe in particular changing habits that maybe we're not happy with. I mean, if, if, you know, 40% of our life or 40 to 50% is driven by our habit activities, obviously there's habits that many of us would want to change, um, in our life. So what, what, what did you find in your research and, and what you mentioned in the book as far as changing an existing habit?
1: Well, so the key is, you know, when most people talk about habits, they talk about breaking a habit. I want to break a, my, this bad habit. And and the problem is that that's influenced how we think about habits, because we we've, we, started, we tend to think about getting rid of bad habits in terms of extinguishing them, right? Sort of making them disappear. But what all the science tells us is that's basically kind of impossible, and it's the wrong way to think about it. So they've done experiments where they take rats, and they put them in mazes, and they have cues and routines and rewards, and they train them to run through, run through that maze um, on a habit, right? They'll react immediately. And then they'll take the rat away from the maze, like for you know, months, sometimes years. And then one day, they'll bring the rat back to the maze, and the habit will come back just like that. And the reason why is because this habit loop, this cue, and this routine, and this reward, it's associated with actual neural circuitry, right? Like when you develop a habit, what's happening inside your brain is that some of the neural connections are becoming slightly thicker than others that are associating that cue, that routine, that reward. So as a result, a, an electrical pulse can can move down that connection faster and easier than than other other connections. And so the the habits in our brain, well, just because you try and take the mouse away from the maze, or just because you try and extinguish a habit, that doesn't make that neural connection go away. It's still there. It's still just waiting. And and you can use willpower, right? We can definitely all use willpower to say, even though I see the donut store and I smell the donuts and I really want one, I'm going to say no. I'm going to deny myself. Through willpower, you can try and extinguish the habit. But it'll always be there and it'll always be a temptation. So what's much better is what's known as the golden rule of habit change. What the golden rule of habit change says is instead of trying to extinguish a habit, instead of trying to break a habit, change a habit replace one habit with something new by piggybacking on what already exists. So figure out what the cue is, the routine and the reward, and then find a new behavior, a new routine that corresponds to that old cue and that delivers something similar to that old reward and just put that new behavior in. And that way, the neural circuitry, instead of having to use your willpower, instead of tempting you, it just shifts slightly. And as a result, you now have something else to do when that habit would normally strike something a little bit healthier.
0: And I would like to add to that something I've I've been dealing with that I, I wanted to get your opinion on this. So for, sure. for years, yeah. So so for years I have struggled with um, procrastination. Now I I consider myself a, a decently productive person. Um, I mentioned I, I I adhere to the GTD methodology. I really love my grandfather's work 7 Habits on, you know, the whole four quadrants and also um uh Greg McKeown's work on essentialism. Those those are like kind of my three driving things to be productive, but I still even to this day I I, I find myself procrastinating where I get will get on the computer it's like okay, I I know what my big rocks are. I know what the important tasks are to do. I know that I need to do the most important tasks first, right? But what I find is when I when I start when I get on the computer I will instantly go to Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, um, and and for years I said okay it's procrastination procrastination and I've read about procrastination and and you know that some of the issue of procrastination is there's maybe some emotions that you're not dealing with which is which is kind of crazy, but when I read your book recently. I said, you know what, I actually think that I have a habit built into this that I I, I, almost like I wasn't even aware of it, where the cue is, okay, I've got my list, I've got everything like settled, ready to go. But then when I sit down, like, it's like a cue for me where it's like, okay, I've done all the work on the planning side. But when it comes to the execution side, um, if I'm not aware with it, the next thing I know, I'm just like, I'm, I'm browsing. So and I, I don't know if that's I, – I guess maybe that's a bigger question on do you think that's a procrastination problem? Do you think it's a habit problem just from what I shared? And I, and I don't expect you to have a perfect answer. But I, I just – I wanted – since I had you on, I wanted to ask you what, what you kind so of So procrastination or, yeah.
1: usually is a habit. I mean so, so let's try and diagnose it. Let's try and figure out what the yep. cue and the reward is. So, so you sit down and you write a list of what you want to get done that day. You have like a to-do list. How many things are on your to-do list usually?
0: I try to break it up so that I've got like my big tasks, like one or two big tasks at kind of the top of the list. And then there'll be, you know, five or six other tasks as part of that. But I, I try and highlight it. So I do it by tags where I've got like the big ones at the top. But so basically it'd be like seven or eight total
1: with the with the two key ones at the top. Okay. So that's way too many. We'll come back to that in a second. But so you've you've done your to-do list and you sit down. So what's the cue? What what happens that causes you to open up Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is?
0: Um and th- and that's what I've that's what I've been wondering. But I, I think it honestly the cue is it's something about when I plan out my day and I have everything kind of written down. Then I sit down to kind of start the work day. And I, I feel good about the plan that, I've, that I have. And it's usually like right then, that it, 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 and it is, it's unconscious that the first thing I do is just, is just like go to YouTube. So I think it, it's, it's right at the start of the day when I sit down and um, have just planned out my day. It's like after that. So I, I think that might be the cue.
1: So what? And what is the reward? Because the cue the cue is is based on whatever reward you're kind of craving. What's the reward of looking at YouTube or Instagram or whatever it is?
0: Well, I don't know what the re- well. I think the reward is just just the instant gratification that social media can give, and things like YouTube.
1: But that um, instant gratification isn't like something you wrap, you can wrap up in a like that's not a reward that's a that's a process right, right? so what's the actual reward is it that you're watching something funny and it feels it feel like you like to laugh or is it that you that you're a little bit bored and you watch something that's entertaining is it that you get to like go see how many of your friends have liked your photo and and you get praise like like I don't know have you looked at YouTube today. Or whatever, um, Facebook
0: or something like that. I, I didn't today because I knew I was talking to you. I was like, I, okay. I, what like, about <laughs> yesterday? <laughs>
1: what, yeah, what exactly yeah, did uh-huh. you look at yesterday? What exactly did you look at?
0: So I usually look at, um, yeah, either either something like funny, or or something that's maybe educational, um, something that okay. like I'm so interested like literally in. yesterday. What did you look like? What did you type into the search bar yesterday? Um. So I got to think. So yesterday what I typed in the search bar was uh well it, it yesterday it was it was around the Afghanistan news is what I is what okay. I did. Yeah.
1: So you wanted to learn something about Afghanistan like it's kind of interesting yeah. to like like learn what's going on. Okay. So so I think there's there's two ways to attack this. The first is you definitely should not have a to-do list with like eight or eight things on it. What you should have is you should have a to-do list with one thing on it, right? You can have a memory li- aid. So like David Allen will say, like, look, we shouldn't use our brain as a to remember stuff. You should write down a list of all the things you need to remember so you don't have to keep it in your brain. But that's not a to-do list. That's a, that's a memory aid. You write down all the things and you put it in some drawer so that next time you need to f- figure out what to do next, you can look at it. On your to-do list, you should have one thing. And that one thing is the most important thing to get done today. And then, then if it's something that you think is not going to take the whole day, then you can put one of two things under it. You can put a second thing to do if you finish the first thing. Or if you need a break, and this is sort of like for me, when I need a break, I write under my one thing I want to get done today. I write what I'm going to do on my break, which is usually like something kind of mindless and fun. Like go book plane tickets, right? Or figure out the itinerary for the next trip or like learn something about Afghanistan. Right. Like, like just decide ahead of time. Like if I need a break, what's the thing I'm going to do during my break? That's not actually procrastination. It's something that like is actually important to me, something I want to get done or I need to get done. And so you've got that on your on your list and then put a time limit on it. Right. So say like. Look, I I'm gonna l i am going to I really want to understand what's going on in Afghanistan. Like, it seems like that's a responsible thing to do. That's my that's my procrastination break. That's my fun thing today, besides this task that I'm gonna get done. And but I'm only gonna spend five minutes. And then literally when you sit down at your computer, look at your list, and at the top of your list, you've got the important thing you wanna get done today, right? The your real task for the day. And under that, you have your procrastination thing. And if you say, okay, now's my procrastination time. I want to take a little break before I dive in. Set your iPhone for a five-minute timer. And then go research Afghanistan for five minutes. And then when the timer goes off, go back to your first thing. And let's say you get your first thing done. Like, let's say you you nailed it. You got it done. It's only 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Then you take out your memory list from your drawer. And you find one more thing to put at the top of your to-do list. And then you can also put a new procrastination thing, right? Next time you procrastinate, you're going to watch funny videos. But you're only going to watch funny videos for five minutes. Like, the the goal, the key here is, if you're someone who needs breaks, you're not going to magically change yourself into someone who doesn't need breaks anymore. Like, the problem, it sounds like, isn't that you're taking breaks. The problem is, it sounds like you have no plan around your breaks. Like, you just, like... Google random things. And then like half an hour later, you're still looking at them. So just plan on having those breaks and figure out what you're going to do during those breaks. Some of those breaks might just be about relaxation. Maybe you say like, literally I just want to spend eight minutes looking at funny videos that like does it for me. Some of those might be like, I, I, in my case, like I like planning, booking my tickets on flights and looking for like the cheapest flights. And so like, that's what I'm going to spend eight minutes looking for the cheapest flights and like find it. Or, or I'm going to say like, I'm going to look for the cheapest flights until I book the tickets, but I am going to set my alarm. And if it, if the, if more than 20 minutes has passed, I'm going to stop and I'm going to go back to my most important task. But like the key is to like be, there's nothing about knowing your, like knowing how a habit loop works that makes it magical. It's all about just drawing your attention to what's going on, what what happens normally in, an, in the almost subconscious. Just by drawing your attention to it, you're getting control over it. And so if you have a plan for how you're going to use those little procrastination breaks, and you put limits around it, not only that, it makes the procrastination more fun. Because now, instead of feeling guilty the whole time you're watching funny videos, now you're like, I get to enjoy these videos until the timer goes off. I've got eight minutes of video watching and experiment. It might be that like three minutes of video watching does not feel you don't feel very refreshed afterwards, but like nine minutes is perfect And so you experiment with it until you figure it out. And you say to yourself, look, watching videos for nine minutes out of every two hours, that is not a bad use of time. That makes me more productive during the rest of that time. But that's the key: is plan precisely what you're going to do and how you're going to use your time. Otherwise, your habits will take over. And what your habits like is your habits like watching funny videos more than getting your work done, because it's just more inherently immediately rewarding.
0: Yeah, that that's helpful. Thanks, Charles, for 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 humoring me with this. But but it actually is something that. Honestly, I I don't think it's just me, and I, I'm I'm totally fine to be vulnerable on on the podcast. But in talking to a lot of people my age group, I feel like that's a common that's a common problem. Uh, Absolutely, and, and not necessarily. I maybe you don't call it a a problem, but it's a common thing that I think a lot of us face in today's world, where everything's so interconnected and it's so easy. It is so easy to. Get on and just to to waste waste the time and and you kind of say what what happened, and that's where I wanted to bring it up because I felt like it uh, for me. I read when I read the book, I'm like, I think like I've got some habits like going on, and I know it sounds so simple, but like it was kind of a breakthrough moment for me where it's like, hey, I've got this going on, I can and I can change it. Like there's something I can do about it,
1: you know? No, absolutely, and and look. And the key here is to, like, experiment, right? Like, that, that's why I mentioned the experiment. So there's a there's a piece of software, for instance, called Freedom, which will basically shut down your access to social media during certain times of day that you set for it. And I think some people download that onto their browser just because, like, it's so automatic to go hit the button for Twitter, right? It's like, it's like I just did something hard, and I just need to, like, chill out for a second. I'm going to go hit Twitter. And then, you know, half an hour later. So So for situations where it's just like that, it's like a muscle twitch. Sometimes a piece of software like Freedom can just interrupt it long enough that you're like, look, I don't got to check Twitter. And I think you're right. The problem is that everything that we do now both our work and our play is all focused around this one same screen and the difference between work and play is literally like moving your cursor from one side to the other and so the other thing that people some people i have spoken to do and you're right lots of people have this problem is that whenever they feel like they want they have like a rule whenever i want to go to twitter i have to get up and i have to like stand up and i have to walk around for at least 10 seconds and they find that actually that's enough of a relief. They get they walk around for 10 seconds. They like stretch their legs and like I actually don't want to look at Twitter anymore. Like I'm ready to go back to that task. So, and that's called an implementation intention. This is in psychology. Implementation intentions is when we take one urge, right? Something that happens and we link it to a new behavior. And we say, before I can check Twitter, I have to stand up from my seat and I have to walk around for 10 seconds, which is not a big deal, right? It doesn't take very long to walk around for 10 seconds. If you do that, then all of a sudden you find like you go to Twitter like like 75% less because what you really needed is you just needed a break to like kind of reset and refresh, and you'd been using Twitter for that. But the point is to look at yourself as a scientist, to look at your life like a scientist looks at something. And, and what that means is that you conduct experiments, but equally that when that experiment fails, that's okay. You take that as data and you learn from it. The, if, a, if I talked to it, my wife as a scientist, if if every experiment that she did was successful, like gave her the results that she expected, she would be the worst scientist on the face of the planet. <laughs> like that's not how science works. Work, ex- experiments are supposed to fail. That's how you learn from them. And so the key is to come up with a series of experiments on yourself. And then when they fail, instead of beating up on yourself and saying like, I'm so dumb, I don't have any willpower to say like, oh, I just learned a pretty interesting piece of data getting up and, and walking around doesn't work for me. But on the other hand, if I go force myself to get a glass of water, that actually works. So before I check Twitter, I need to go get a glass of water. And Not only that, but it helps me like hydrate more X and Y and Z. And all of a sudden, I find that like, I don't really want to check Twitter quite so much because it's a hassle to get up. Also, when I do get up, I see a friend and I talk to them. And all of a sudden, I don't feel like I need to check Twitter anymore because I've already had a little bit of a mental break. That's a the goal here is like try and figure out these new behaviors try and figure out what the habit loop is by diagnosing the cue the routine and the reward and then use that information to conduct little experiments to see how you can come up with behaviors that you like more
0: i love it and i so i've got some science experience i need uh experiments i need to do with myself and i'm i'm going to keep you updated on that because oh uh, good yeah I, i i will i won't bug you too much i promise but I'll, I'll keep you updated because I, um, yeah, this is something that it. it I, I've just realized it's it's been a habit, and I I want to do something, and I love I love the concept of treating it as an experiment rather than because a lot of times when I think when people undertake uh, change in their life, it can be seen as this really difficult, really hard willpower type of thing, but I like the idea of of approaching it from more like a like, like a scientist, like you said, it's, you're, you're doing these yeah. experiments. That's like brilliant.
1: And a scientist always starts with a plan, right? You come up with a plan for a series of experiments. So the, right now my wife and I are training for, um, for the San Francisco Half Marathon, which is in like I think three weeks or two weeks or something like that. And so, so I use a, a training schedule called the Hal Higdon training schedule. And the reason I use that one is because I can download it into my calendar really easily. And so the thing about the Hal Higdon calendar is it's a plan. It literally just tells you how many miles to run every single day. But there's a lot of like little variables that you need to figure out on your own. Like, am I going to run in the morning or the afternoon? Am I going to run on the treadmill or am I going to run outside? Am I going to run while I'm listening to music or listening to a podcast? And so literally when we started, I just came up with like a list of exper- things I wanted to start play with like like I want to do one run in the morning and one in the afternoon and see if which one's easier and I'm going to listen to some music on one run and then I'm going to listen to a podcast on the next one and and like the thing is that like within two or three weeks you find that the running's a lot easier right because a your body kind of reacts quickly but b you start figuring out what you like like I like listening to podcasts and I like running in the morning and I like running outside I hate running on a treadmill and so like once you figure that out actually the training, it gets pretty easy. And that's the key though, is to sit down and just say your, say to yourself, like, what experiments do I want to run with this? It also makes it more fun. Totally.
0: Yeah, it does. It, it I mean, it, it, it sounds fun. So, um, I know we're, we're close to time. So there's, there's always two questions that I'll, I'll kind of end, um, each, each uh, podcast with. So the, the first question, and I know we've, we've touched on this a little bit, but, um, if, if a listener were to ask you, what, what is what is a practical action step a listener could take to change a bad habit?
1: So so literally just sitting down and trying to diagnose what is the cue and what is the reward driving this habit is going to give you a huge amount of insight. And in fact, if you go to my website, charlesduhig.com there's like these spreadsheets or these like PDFs they like take you through the steps, right? It's pretty easy to like, pretty easy to do. So you can just go to go to my website. You can like download one of the little charts about how to change a habit or how to create a habit. But the goal, whole goal is just to identify what the cue and the reward is and then come up with some way to experiment.
0: And then the last question and kind of shifting gears a little bit, but I always end with this question. Pretend that you were sitting one-on-one with someone that was just starting out in their career and then they asked you about success. As far as both what is success and how to be successful, how would you approach that answer?
1: I have no idea what success is because I think success is different for different people. And I think it should be different for different people. Like I think that like some people like want to earn a lot of money and like that's not a bad definition of success for that person. As long as that makes them happy and gives them a real sense of accomplishment, you know, that if they have a family to support and they want to take care of their parents. I think for other people, success is about having like enough time to be with your kids all the time and be home for dinner every single night. I think for other people, success is about being able to live in the place you want to live. And so what I would say is just, you should think about success and figure out what the definition is for you and be open to it changing. Cause I think it does change over time, but I would say the, The most important thing to do in order to to achieve that success is when you're young find some way that you can work really really hard because until you learn to work really really hard it's it's tough to test out a bunch of different things right so so when i graduated from college i went and i started a company and was probably working i don't know 80 or 90 hours a week and then i became a journalist and when i was a journalist i was probably working 60 or 70 hours a week. And and I liked it. I really liked working hard. But more importantly, I learned how to work hard. And when you learn how to work hard, all of a sudden, there's all kinds of things that you can do. Now, you can easily choose at some point not to work so hard. You can say, now that I have kids, I want to get home and I want to spend time with my kids and I, I don't want be be to be at the office or be on call as much as I used to. But you get that freedom because you spent some time earlier in life working as hard as you can and learning how to work as hard as you can. And that gives you options and it lets you know what you're capable of.
0: That's a great answer. Well, Charles, I know we're, I know we're at time and I really appreciate you being on today. I, I feel totally like enlightened and inspired from our conversation of of trying some um, experiment experiments in my own life. And I'm hopeful for the listeners that they could relate at least or and maybe think about some habits in their own life they can change. So everyone needs to pick up pick up your book. It's an essential read for everyone. The other aspect we didn't touch on, which is also fascinating, is, is um, companies um, instilling habits on consumers. And you know, we, we more focused on the personal side of it, but it's a relevant book for bu- on the business side as well. So just, I just wanted to mention that. So thanks again, Charles, for your time. Thank um, you. You were, you were great. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Take care. Thanks so much.